Hello and welcome to episode number 61 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, and I'm joined, as always, by Tony Pauline, as we're ready to wrap up our NFC East Draft Reviews with the Eagles and the Redskins. We're about to be one quarter of the way through these, Tony. How do you feel? Well, I feel like we're 25% done. I mean, uh, we're going to finish up the uh, NFC East, and I, I think we are ending off with two major winners in this year's draft. Absolutely, and we'll start with the Philadelphia Eagles here. Now, they had five picks in this year's draft, which isn't that much, obviously. They started with a trade-up to number 22 overall from number 25. They gave up picks 125 and 197 to move up those three spots, which took their total pick capital from seven to five. And they selected Washington State offensive tackle Andre Dillard, who we rated as this draft's top tackle. He had a terrific pre-draft process that he kicked off with the senior bowl, really tested well at the combine. He's a great athlete at 6'5", 315 pounds. He understands angles, plays with good technique, good awareness along the line, and gets to the second level well using those movement skills. Now, there are some small areas where he could clean up his game, but he doesn't really have any fatal flaws. So this appears to be a real shrewd move for Philly to pick up Dillard after jumping the Houston Texans at number 23. Yeah, they gave up, what, a fourth-round pick and a later-round pick for the potential starting left tackle of the future to protect Carson Wentz? I, I mean, there are some people who just do a great job working the draft, and Howie Roseman is one of them. We saw him last year move down into the second round, then get his tight end and snap them away from the uh, Miami Dolphins when he took Dallas Goddard. What did he do this year? He moved up ahead of uh, the Houston Texans and snapped away uh, Andre Dillard, who the Texans were going to take. And now we may have his uh, starting left tackle for the next decade. Howie Roseman said after the draft that the Philadelphia Eagles had Andre Dillard graded as a top 10 player in the draft. I'll say that again. Roseman said the Eagles had Andre Dillard graded as a top 10 player in the draft, and they got him at the 22nd slot. And it's not a running back or a receiver we're talking about. It's the all-important left tackle position. As I said all along at the Combine, when I was doing interviews with NewYorkGiants.com and other places, I expect Andre Dillard to be the best offensive lineman to come from this year's draft. I think it was a tremendous pick by the Eagles. I think it was a tremendous move to get up and, and grab him. And again, I expect nothing but great things from this kid. Now, while Andre Dillard may not be a running back or a receiver, the Eagles did add one of each on the second day in the second round, to be more specific. They added Penn State running back Miles Sanders and Stanford wide receiver J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Now, for a team that has really used a heavy committee approach at the running back position, they really haven't invested much in the way of money or draft capital there. The Sanders pick was a bit surprising. But he is an excellent athlete, finally got a shot to play this season with Saquon Barkley leaving for the NFL. Thing about Sanders is he's raw as a runner in terms of his vision and just general rushing instincts. So the hope is that he improves on those and fulfills the three down potential that he does have. He can catch passes out of the backfield and, as I said, is a very good athlete. Now, our Sega Whiteside, not quite the level of athlete as Miles Sanders, but showed solid enough speed at his pro day to be one of the bigger bodied receivers that ends up getting drafted higher in the draft, as we've seen the last couple years, those guys fall a bit. But he absolutely is a contested catch winner. Nelson Aguilar may not be an eagle much longer. If Aguilar sticks through the season, it might be tough for Arcega Whiteside to get playing time. But if they end up trading Aguilar or getting rid of him somehow, Arcega Whiteside can step in right into three wide sets with Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson. Separation ability is a definite question with Arcega Whiteside, but he's a good player, good hands, solid value in the second round. Tony, what do you think of these skill player additions for Philly? 
Yeah, I think that Miles Sanders went exactly where we expected him to late round two. He's a guy who has a tremendous amount of upside. I think he's the type of running back that the Eagles are looking at to use in their rotational system. And then if he develops properly, take over as the starter down the road. I see nothing but upside with this selection. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, during our podcast in the month of March when we were covering all the pro days, I had said that Arcega-Whiteside had cemented himself as a second-round choice. After his pro day workout where he ran 5-4-0, we know about his pass catching skill. We know about his reliable hands. We know about his ability to win off of the contested catch. When he ran a 4-5-0, it solidified himself in that top tier, or I should say that second tier of, of receivers after Marquis Brown in that second round. That's exactly where he went. You know, he's not a Deshaun Jackson type of receiver who makes a lot of plays down the field. And I know that the Eagles did just sign Deshaun Jackson to a multi-year contract, but the guy is 32 years old. You mentioned Nelson Aguilar. Listen, the more weapons and the more protection that you can uh, put around Carson Wentz, the more effective you're going to make him. That's what Andre Diller did in round one. That's what Miles Sanders and Arcega Whiteside did in round two. Now, Philly only had two third-day picks, adding Penn State edge rusher Sharif Miller and Northwestern quarterback Clayton Thorson. Now, Miller's a guy with an explosive first step, good closing burst, has seven and a half sacks this past season, but it's just 254 pounds. He's probably going to have to add some bulk to really play an actual role as a defensive end in Philly's scheme. He should have time to do so and to develop with the depth the Eagles have at the position. Now, Thorson, he's big, and he has a strong arm. That's kind of where the positives end. With Clayton Thorson, unfortunately, he struggles under pressure. His accuracy comes and goes, whether he's under pressure or working with a clean pocket. He's been hurt a bunch to boot. So I kind of question this pick, especially since the Eagles have been talking up Nick Sudfeld as their backup to Carson Wentz. And it seems like they really like him. So then why take Thorson here behind Carson Wentz? Tony, what do you think? Well, I think Sharif Miller is a guy that's got great upside, like you said. I had him graded as a third-round pick. Comes off a terrific campaign in 2018. Tested incredibly well at the Combine. I agree with you. He's going to have to put some pound to John. He's going to have to add some bulk. But, you know, the Eagles do like those undersized pass rushers. You know, the Brandon Grahams, the Vinnie Currys, even Derek Barnett was not the biggest guy in the world. But they're fast and they're explosive up the field. So I like that pick. Clayton Thorson was a roll of the dice in round five. You know, you said it right. They keep talking about Nate Sudfeld. Keep talking him up as uh, Carson Wentz's uh, backup. A lot of people in the league like Nate Sudfeld. So I could see the Eagles at some point during the season trading Nick Sudfeld, who was a uh, an undrafted free agent, and they've done a great job developing him and getting something back, getting something uh, real value as far as draft pick back back for Nate Sudfeld, and then trying to develop Clayton Thorson. You know, one thing Doug Peterson does and does well, whether it's Carson Wentz, whether it's Nick Foles, is he develops quarterbacks and he gets the best out of them. We know that Clayton Thorson has the physical skills. He was just never able to put it together on a consistent basis on the football field. He needs development and he needs proper coaching. I think Doug Peterson will be able to apply that and get the best out of Clayton Thorson. So I can understand why people would say it's a questionable pick. Let's see what happens with Sudfeld. Let's see if the Eagles move Sudfeld for picks. And let's see if Doug Peterson is able to work his magic on Clayton Thorson the way he did with Nick Foles, the way he did with Carson Wentz. Now, a lack of picks means many spots for undrafted free agents, and the Eagles signed 15 of them post-draft. Penn State guard Ryan Bates looks like a nice pickup. 
small area player who's going to have to move inside from the tackle position. He played with the Nittany Lions, but he's powerful at the point, shows good technique. Even though his pass protection leaves a little bit something to be desired, he can be a very effective NFL run blocker. Wisconsin linebacker TJ Edwards, he's a bit small, he's a bit slow, but he produced for the Badgers for three years, likely ends up being a special teamer if he makes the roster as he really doesn't have the size or the speed to play in the Eagles 4-3 scheme. So while it's a questionable fit, it is a decent post-draft flyer. Weber State's Iosa Upeta was an interesting flyer as well. Solid size and athleticism, but like you might expect as a player coming from the Big Sky Conference, he's very raw. The classic small school practice squad prospect who you hope to develop and get something out of down the line, whether it's year two, whether it's year three. He can make an impact if he's properly developed with his skill set. Any post-draft signings stand out to you, Tony? Well, obviously, you, you skipped Anthony Rush of uh, Alabama-Birmingham, and I think he did that on purpose because, you know, he's one of my favorites. I don't know that he's a good fit for the Eagles system, but if you're looking for a space eater up front, a guy that's going to occupy the blockers, he has a decent upside. Wasn't drafted, had a significant foot injury in the postseason, which kind of kept him on the sidelines. I, I saw on the Pro Day report he was wearing a boot during the UAB uh, Pro Day. But he's a guy that's got a good amount of upside. If he doesn't make the active roster, I could absolutely see him being put on the practice squad. Nate Herbig is a guy that needs a lot of work on his game. He has a very high opinion of himself, but he does come with a decent upside. I like both linebackers that they drafted. A little bit contrast in style. Joe Alfari is a terrific athlete who's a fiery guy who goes sideline to sideline, but is a little bit undersized. Edward is a smart, instinctive football player who's good against the run, but has uh, poor size forward slash speed numbers. Size forward slash speed numbers. I'm still in uh, scouting mode. <laughs> size and speed numbers. Ryan Bates has always been a favorite of mine. I, I watched him as a uh, redshirt freshman at Penn State. I thought he was going to be a top pro prospect. His game never took off. I think part of the problem was Penn State kicked him from guard and moved him outside to tackle, and he was kind of out of position. But I think he could be a good backup guard at the next level. Now, again, limited picks for Philly, but they really did well with what they had. How does that kind of situation grade out for you? I can't say it's excellent only because of limited picks, but the fact is this. They did an outstanding job. Potential starting left tackle for the next 10 years. A situational ball carrier who could develop into a uh, starting ball carrier. A receiver who I expect to be a number three receiver and then potentially number two receiver for the uh, Eagles, although they line up three receivers. An edge rusher who's got great upside and just needs to get a little bit stronger. And a developmental quarterback. I mean, you know, this is why the Eagles, since the return of Howie Roseman and the hiring of Doug Peterson, are a team that is going to compete to be in the championship or be in a championship year in and year out. Great job by them. Now head to the nation's capital in just a moment. But before we do, please support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave a rating and a review. And if you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with us. Now, like the Giants, the Redskins ended up with multiple first-round picks and a rookie quarterback with one of those picks. That QB was Ohio State's Dwayne Haskins, the top guy on our board over at DraftAnalyst.com. Obviously had massive numbers last season, very accurate, not really a mobile guy. And there are some questions about his deep accuracy, mainly because the Ohio State offense was just a bunch of mess, mesh and crossing routes, and they really didn't throw the ball downfield that often. So it's hard to fully judge based on the small sample, but there were some questions going in about Haskins there. Overall, though, this pick has to be viewed as nothing less than a home run. They got to stay at number 15, didn't have to move up, and got their potential quarterback of the future. After that, 
Washington did move up in the draft. They came back into the first round to end Montez Sweat's slide to grab the Mississippi State edge rusher who had a potentially misdiagnosed heart condition at the combine that may have cost him some money here. A lot of teams took him off their draft boards just because they didn't want to deal with that risk, even though everything pointed to it being a minor heart condition. Turns out in the end, he may not have even had a minor problem at all, but really another great pickup for the Skins to take advantage of the situation here. Yeah, I mean, you start off with Haskins. You have to be elated if you're a Redskins fan. He was never anything but our number one quarterback from the get-go on our draft board at draftdownals.com. He's a plug-and-play type of quarterback. Had a terrific season in 2018. Didn't have too many bumps in the road. He's got a high upside. They didn't have to move and get him. You know, Giant fans are screaming and yelling because they feel that Daniel Jones went too early. Well, Redskins fans should be ecstatic because Dwayne Haskins fell into their laps. I thought it was laughable that people were saying that Haskins was a media creation. He's a legitimate starting NFL quarterback. He's a plug-and-play type guy. I love this pick, as I did the Montez Sweat selection. I mean, there's a point in time where teams feel that the reward far outweighs the risk. And as Montez Sweat was sliding down draft boards, that's exactly what happened. The Redskins have gone defensive line heavy the past couple of years in the first round of the draft. They still need an edge rusher. They got it, Montez Sweat. Hopefully the heart issues is not a is not a problem. He's got to get a little bit bigger. He's got to add some bulk to his frame to improve his run defense. But the fact is this, he is an outstanding pass rusher, and that's exactly what the Redskins needed coming into the draft, and that's what they got. Now Washington made three picks in the third and the fourth rounds, grabbing Haskins' college teammate, wide receiver Terry McLaurin in the third, and Stanford running back Bryce Love and Indiana guard Wes Martin in round four. Now McLaurin was probably the second best receiver at the Senior Bowl this year behind Debo Samuel out of South Carolina. He's got excellent speed, ran a 4-3-1 at the combine. He's a good route runner. Obviously, his college production was limited. A lot of that is because they had a lot of talent at wide receiver at Ohio State and just a lot of malice to feed. But he's a guy who could definitely have a better NFL career statistically than he did a college career. Price Love wasn't himself in 2018 after really battling some injuries, lost some of the explosiveness that he had in 2016 and 2017, especially 2017 after he took over full-time for Christian McCaffrey. Unfortunately for Love, he tore his ACL on what ended up being the last play of his college career. Before that, an explosive home run hitting back. And if he can get back to that point, he'll be a nice pick here. But there's a lot of risk, and he isn't a great receiver. So he's more of a change of pace back that... You draft in the fourth round, you expect less risk in a scenario like that. So I sort of question this pick. I also question the Wesley Martin pick. Uh, he was a free agent prospect on our board, really only effective in a small area and likely projects no better than a backup on the inside of the offensive line. Tony, where do you stand on this trio of picks? McLaurin, like you said, has got to produce during the regular season. He checked all the boxes in the lead up to the draft, was the best receiver at the uh, senior ball, one of the best, if not the best. As you said, tested through the roof during the combine. He's just going to apply that on the field. He's got to be a consistent producer on the field. If he does, I think he'll be a very good number three, maybe number two wideout. I agree with you about Bryce Love. You know, you talked about the injury that ended his college career. He had an injury-riddled campaign in 2018, really from the get-go, which was sad to see because he went back with the hopes of putting together a Heisman campaign, never came to fruition. I also question this pick because of the fact that, you know, you have a serious knee injury, you have it late in the season, and Bryce Love's game 
is basically sideline to sideline. It's east-west. It's the ability to uh, double cut and throw multi-cuts over the course of a single run, make defenders miss, and that adds a lot of strain on the knee. So it's a question as to when he'll get back to full strength and, and full health. And don't forget, I mean, he had a huge workload at Stanford. That was one of the concerns. Uh, so now you took a guy in the fourth round who had a huge workload, who's coming off a major knee injury, who is more of a, uh, a multi-cut ball carry, who makes defenders miss. I thought it was a risky pick, as you did for the fourth round. Wes Morton, I would agree with. Uh, I don't see him as anything more than a backup at guard. I don't think he can play tackle at the next level. So uh, this was kind of a head-scratcher for me. Now the Redskins finished out their draft with five more picks. Alabama center Ross Pierschbacher and North Carolina linebacker Cole Holcomb were their choices in the fifth round. NC State wide receiver Kelvin Harmon went to them in the sixth. And James Madison cornerback Jimmy Moreland and Oklahoma State pass rusher Jordan Brailford in the seventh. Now, Pierschbacher and Holcomb were likely a bit overdrafted, but Pierschbacher should be good depth on the inside as a powerful phone booth blocker. Holcomb had an impressive pro day, as we reported here on our podcast, but he's small, gets caught up in blocks at times, and he'll need to be covered up in Washington's 3-4, but definitely has some athletic potential. Harmon was exposed as a poor athlete at the Combine, couldn't even crack 4-6 in the 40. We talked earlier in the episode about J.J. Arcega-Whiteside running a 4-5 and solidifying his stock. Kelvin Harmon running a 4-6 kind of did the opposite. They're similar receivers. Uh, his college tape is really excellent as a big-bodied guy, wins at the catch point, does a good job finding holes in the defense, but he doesn't separate very well, has a tendency to round off his routes at times. So there are some questions on Harmon, but he's a guy who really should not have been available in the sixth round, even though these things obviously scared off some NFL teams. Jimmy Moreland was a nice pick. Really impressed on the all-star circuit. Could contribute once he gets used to the speed of the NFL game and is a guy with those kind of traits who's well worth a seventh-round flyer. Jordan Brailford is more of a sub-package presence off the edge, a guy who can help out there, but probably not a big impact player down the line. Anything stand out to you here among these picks, Tony? No, Pierce Barker I thought was drafted a little bit early. He may make it as a backup center. I do like Cole Holcomb. We talked about how he had such a great pro day. Had a good three days of practice at the Shrine game, really stood out there, and has a decent college film. The problem is he played for North Carolina, and they were so bad, it was tough to watch him. But I could absolutely see Holcomb making it as a backup inside linebacker and a special teams demon. Has all the skills to do that. Kelvin Harmon was great value in the sixth round. Forget about his uh, 40 time. The fact is this back-to-back 1,000-yard receiving seasons in a pro-style offense, a guy that consistently wins out for the contested throw. I can absolutely see him making it as a fourth receiver. Jimmy Moreland's a guy that we talked about almost daily since the Shrine game, had a great week of Shrine practices, went to the Senior Bowl, had a good week of practices at the uh, Senior Bowl, should have been invited to the uh, Combine, was not, had a solid pro day. You're looking at Jimmy Moreland as a potential dimeback return specialist because he's a lethal kick returner. Jordan Brelford, as you said, I think he's a situational pass rusher that's going to have to make it on special teams if he wants to be on an active roster this fall. Now, after the draft, only eight undrafted free agents signed by the Redskins. McNeese State's B.J. Blunt was a player who was at the Senior Bowl, a good athlete, but sized more like a big safety than a linebacker. He goes about 220 pounds and actually may not have much growth potential at that weight either. At the very least, he profiles as a solid special teamer if he can make the practice squad and develop a little bit. JoJo McIntosh was a guy who was overshadowed in the Washington secondary, a hard-hitting, strong safety type of player who struggles in coverage, but another potential impact special teamer. Overall, at least in my eyes, kind of an uninspiring post-draft haul for Washington. What do you think, Tony? 
Yeah, I, I think you got a lot of practice squad guys here. A couple of guys, Chidi Okiki from Tennessee State. Check out his scouting report at draftanalyst.com. An athletic guy that's got a lot of upside, but someone that needs a lot of work on his game. I've always liked JoJo McIntosh, the defensive back from Washington, but he's a guy who ran poorly at Pro Day, only in the four sevens. He's more of a strong safety downhill type of uh, of defensive back. He's going to make it as a backup special teams player if he's going to make it at all. Ryan B, the defensive tackle, I think he's good for the uh, Redskins system. But he's a guy who really, I, I watched him as a sophomore. I put him on my radar. Just never really improved his game the way I thought possible. He's a tall, thin guy who's got to add some bulk. But again, you know, like Chidi Okiki, I think he's more of a practice squad type of player. Now, overall, I'd say Washington had the best draft of the division. They added their quarterback of the future, got a potentially explosive edge rusher, grabbed a few solid wide receivers on the second and third day. How would you grade their haul, Tony? I think that Philadelphia Eagles draft is better only because I think Philadelphia Eagles have more sure things with Andre Dillard, with J.J. Arcega, Whiteside. You could say that the Redskins draft has much more upside potential. They could be better two or three years down the road if Dwayne Haskins plays up to his ability and continues to improve, if Montez Sweat stays healthy and shows that he can be the same pass rusher in the NFL that he was in college, if Terry McLaurin is able to basically capitalize on a good senior bowl and produce on the football field. I think these guys have more upside than the Philadelphia Eagle players. Overall, I think it was a good job, even in the later rounds. I mean, you don't like Cole Holcomb? I do. I think we both think Kelvin Harmon was a steal. Jimmy Moreland was a steal. So I think in those three guys, you have active roster players that can help out in certain situations on defense and offense as well as special teams. And that's all for the 61st episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll take the weekend off with two divisions now in the books. We'll have two more for you next week as our draft reviews roll on through the month of May. In the meantime, head over to draftanalyst.com for our 2020 mock draft and get acquainted with some of your team's new players with over 700 scouting reports available on the site. For Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. Have a great weekend, everybody, and thanks, as always, for listening. <laughs>